United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. It is uh, nearly the end of International Women's Month, which means it's about time we get onto this. It's not we've ignored it, but uh, Women's History Month is something that uh, March represents. International Women's Day was March the 8th. And we wanted to bring into focus an issue that Dr. Kathleen Canast is very involved with, and that is the contribution of women make, that they make to peace and security around the world. Indeed, at the United States Institute of Peace, the mission is trying to figure out ways of bringing about peace around the world, hence the name, U.S. Institute of Peace. Dr. Canast joins us here and tweets at Kath Canast. I'll spell it for you in a little bit. Dr. Canast, welcome for, uh, well, thanks for being on POTUS today. Welcome. Thank you so much, Tim. I was looking at uh, the piece that you recently wrote, and this was about International Women's Day, but I think it applies to our conversation here. As an anthropologist who works on women and war, I adhere to the precept by Ruth Benedict that the purpose of anthropology is to make the world safe for human differences. Explain the role of women in that process. Well, really, uh, there are three things for women uh, when it comes to conflict prevention and resolution. They are protection, participation, and progress. If we look at uh, protection, uh, we have some very good global markers, including the UN Security Council Resolution 1325, which made it clear that women needed to be counted in war and in peace. It's a fact. Women have been invisible in their contributions to peace as the many ways in which they have been victimized during war. Thus, protection from violence, especially sexual violence and war, is paramount. But second, women need to really fully participate in the process of rebuilding the peace after conflict. They have to be at the tables during the peace talks, helping to prepare the talks and be a part of the solution. They can't be sidelined anymore. Really, a peace treaty without women is half a treaty. They are integral to creating viable solutions in a post-conflict society and have to be a part of this peace dividend. And third, progress on women's equality is fundamental to conflict prevention. We now not only have global recognition that you know gender equality is critical to peace and security, it's even a part of the UN's sustainable development goals. But we have found uh, in research funded by uh, the Defense Department's Minerva grants at Texas A&M, they're finding that the security of women is intrinsically linked to the security of the nations that they live in. So in other words, Tim, higher levels of gender equality are associated with a lower tendency for violent conflict between states or within a state. Dr. Canast, I, I knew we were having this conversation today. I can only I, I, I sort of look with irony at the president of the United States meeting yesterday with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, a country where those kinds of that kind of equality is still somewhat elusive. And I wonder how difficult that makes the U.S. Uh, position when it comes to dealing with some of these countries. I think some of these countries are actually embracing the possibility of uh, changing attitudes and behaviors and laws, which are critical to uh, advancing the role of women in helping these countries, uh, not only uh, in peace building efforts, but economically. And I think Saudi Arabia is one of them. I think the 
the new uh, prince is, is, is making headway in trying to find greater spaces to engage and to make uh, important in their society the role of women. Again, Dr. Kathleen Canast is with us, Director of Gender Policy and Strategy at the U.S. Institute of Peace. You wrote recently, the rise of digital social media like that of the printing press 500 years ago is broadening people's ability to tell their stories. As before, this is eroding the exclusive control of the powerful. Uh, With your anthropologist hat on, could you look at the, I wonder, is there a difference in the way that women use social media for change as opposed to, say, the way men use it? I'm not sure that there is a difference in terms of how we use it, but the fact is that social media is a, a horizontal approach to power. It's not a hierarchical approach. We see young people using it uh, in the current uh, issues coming out of the uh, Parkland tragedy. No, it, it is about that the technology and the point, whether it's the printing press or social media, allows voices that previously had been ignored or without access uh, to expression uh, really helps to solidify Uh, understandings about how people relate to one another. And definitely social media has allowed women to reach out to one another, share their experiences, and um, collaborate on making change in their respective societies. I wonder if it coarsens the dialogue or if it brings to light some of the coarser aspects of our society and therefore helps to sort of let those uh, those scabs, I guess, see the light of day and maybe try to eliminate those sores. What's your thought on that? I think definitely. I mean, again, if we compare uh, to the 1500s and to the 21st century, uh, exposing uh, human rights abuses, exposing um, limited uh, access uh, to power of those who are disenfranchised, those who are marginalized, absolutely exposes uh, various forms of human rights abuses or issues of free press and and right uh, to uh, action. Yeah, and people used to say stupid things in the office, but now if you say it on the Internet, everyone knows that you're saying a stupid thing. So uh, I I wonder... um, I wonder, uh, you know, uh, the, the, when you talk about the social media, I would guess that would get more people engaged, including men, in uh, in uh, in these issues. And I wonder how does that n- number one uh, manifest itself, and does that also figure into your work, getting men involved? Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the I think uh, things that we have learned over the last five years uh, in some uh, assessments we did on women's programming in Iraq and Afghanistan. We found uh, that um, not engaging with men as we work with women's uh, empowerment actually uh, is is not as effective. Uh, Engaging men is the way forward. Um, There's some fantastic research done by the Images Project that has uh, been carried out over 30 countries, more than 50,000 household surveys, and what they're finding is important to uh, for men to understand themselves as gendered beings, um, but that we are learning that uh, violence is a learned activity, and those uh, men who witness violence, for example, in the household, 
uh, are two to, uh, times more likely to repeat it later on. So uh, these issues are not, uh, you know, peace and security issues are not uh, a, a silo in any sense for women only. Men too must address what violence means to them, what it has done uh, in creating certain ideals and ideas about what it means to be a man. This is a lot of what uh, we see happening now that uh, notions of peaceful masculinity is a powerful tool for the prevention of violent conflict and certainly as the prevention of violence against women. Uh, engaging men in this, this effort, this global effort, is something that we see in, in many facets of uh, programming, uh, including the United Nations, He for She, uh, and I think uh, we'll see more of it as time moves forward. Dr. Kathleen Kanash, thank you for joining us on POTUS today. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Have a great day. You too. Dr. Kathleen Kanast is the Director of Gender Policy and Strategy at the U.S. Institute of Peace. On the occasion of International Women's Day, she had written Making Women Visible. You can find that online at their website, USIP. You can also tweet to Dr. Kanast at Kath Kanast at K-A-T-H-K-U-E-H-N-A-S-T. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.